This week's Simple Brand episode features a From the Vault discussion with Christy Wright. I've recently brought a new team member into the business, and we're taking some time this week to pause so we can dive into our operations and begin creating more systems to ensure things run smoothly and simply. And we're using a lot of the lessons we learned in the last two episodes from Jeffrey Shaw and Jenny Blake. And good news, the lessons from this episode fall right in line with them. So if you're wanting to learn what steps you can take to get more time back by simplifying your business and your life, then this episode's for you. We'll be back next week with our regular schedule of all new interviews with all new guests. For now, enjoy this From the Vault discussion with Christy Wright. Life balance is not doing everything for an equal amount of time. It's about doing the right things at the right time. And when you do the right things at the right time, you will actually feel that sense of balance that you've been looking for all along. And it looks a lot more like feeling peace, being confident in your choices when you say yes to this thing or no to that thing, being proud of how you spend your time, shaking the guilt, actually enjoying your life. And I think that that's what we're actually after when we're saying we're seeking balance. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. It's no secret. So many people today are feeling stretched too thin, like they're overworked, overwhelmed, and overcommitted. And it doesn't seem like that's slowing down. At first, you know, lots of us were thinking that we're being asked to do more with less, like our days are being hijacked by somebody else's agenda. And sometimes that's true. But if you look a little bit deeper, it's not just that. We're being bombarded with all kinds of distractions that we're not ignoring. And we're saying yes to what seems like so many worthwhile opportunities. We know we can't do it all, but it's difficult to know what we can or should do. Hey, I'm right there with you. I know this year I've admitted to being overwhelmed and out of balance more times than I'd like. And if I'm at the point when I'm actually admitting it, then you know it's bad. When I can't get done all that I want to get done, or worse all I committed to get done, because I feel out of balance. And the more I realize how out of balance I am, the more frustrated I get. And the more frustrated I get, the more it seems to throw me off balance even further, causing, well, even more frustration. And that's why I'm thrilled to talk with Christy Wright this week. Christy is a number one national best-selling author. She's a personal development expert, and she's the host of The Christy Wright Show. She's also the founder of Business Boutique, which equips over 40 thousand women business owners to make money doing what they love. Christy and I get to talk about her new book that comes out today, Take Back Your Time, The Guilt-Free Guide to Life Balance. In Take Back Your Time, Christy gives you the method, framework, and lessons to help you identify what balance looks like in your specific life. And she uncovers the steps to help you focus on what matters most and achieve your own version of balance. So here it is. Here's my interview with Christy Wright. Hey, Christy, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. I am too. And this is a great book to have. I think it has been beneficial for anybody to focus on life balance anytime, but especially today. It, it's just such a major pain point for people. You're exactly right. It's the number one question I'm asked. So that's why I wanted to tackle it. Why are so many people feeling out of balance today? Well, obviously, we have more demands on us than ever before. We have more opportunities, even good opportunities than ever before. We're more connected than ever before with social media, technology, and the internet. And then I think also one of the things that we struggle with, and I talk about this in the book, but we don't really know what we want. And what I mean by that is we think we want balance, but we don't even know what that is. We don't know what balance is. We're just sure we don't have it. And so what happens is we end up with this narrative that we're failing. No matter what we're doing, no matter how hard we try, we seem to still miss the mark and feel like we're doing the wrong thing. And so the result is you have a lot of busy people 
doing a lot of things, still feeling bad, but now they're just really tired. So I wanted to approach this topic and redefine life balance in our day and age and get to the root issues that keep us from feeling balanced so that we can solve it there and fix it once and for all. It's not one of those things that we're just going to maneuver the puzzle pieces of our calendar and then those problems keep creeping up again and again. I want to solve it at the root level so that we can fix this and actually feel balanced even if the world is out of balance. Yeah. I mean, like, even if everything around us feels crazy and chaotic, the ability to be balanced around that is super valuable. But how do you even define life balance? One of the things that led me down this path is first figuring out what it's not. And I think that we have some mixed up ideas about balance. We think that it's a 50-50 split. Like I'm going to work 50% of the time and, and be at home 50% of the time. And that's not realistic or desirable. We also tend to think that it means we're going to do everything for an equal amount of time. Like we're just going to work out this amount of time and spend time with God this amount of time and have this much time with our spouse, this much time with our kids, this much time working, whatever. And that's not even sort of realistic. And so what, by discovering what it's not, it led me to what I believe is the truest, most accurate, most practical and helpful version or definition of life balance. And that's this life balance is not doing everything for an equal amount of time. It's about doing the right things at the right time. And when you do the right things at the right time, you will actually feel that sense of balance that you've been looking for all along. And it looks a lot more like feeling peace, being confident in your choices when you say yes to this thing or no to that thing, being proud of how you spend your time, shaking the guilt, actually enjoying your life. And I think that that's what we're actually after when we're saying we're seeking balance. I think we just want to be proud of how we spend our time and we want to enjoy our life. And the good news is when you do the right things at the right time, you will feel that balance that you've been looking for. That's super helpful because going back to what you were saying earlier, if we think of life balance as trying to do all things equally, that's an expectation that we can never meet. I think that's what really hurts us on the inside is realizing that we're not meeting our own expectations. Right. And we have set ourselves up for an impossible standard. And so if we think we're going to do everything and then we don't because we can't because we won't, then we feel like we're failing. So we live our whole lives feeling like we're failing and we're not failing. We're just not acknowledging or appreciating or even experiencing or enjoying the things that we are doing and the things that we're doing right. And so I think that it comes down to there's a very practical side of this of going, okay, our time is finite. We're always going to make choices. We can't do everything all the time. And we know that in our head, and yet we beat ourselves up when we don't. And so I think that if we can acknowledge that our time is finite and reset our expectations of what we can and can't do, there's also a piece of this of once we do the right things at the right time, like if we can align our time and say, okay, this is a priority for me. I'm going to spend my time on these things. We still have to acknowledge that it's right and be present for it. And what I mean by that is, and I talk about this in the book, but so much of my guilt used to come from always focusing on where I was not. So when I was at work, I was thinking about my kids, feeling like I'm a bad mom for missing out on stuff. When I was at home, I was thinking about work and emails and deadlines I was behind on, always focused on where I was not. Well, if you live your whole life always focused on where you're not, then of course you feel guilty because you're always focused on where you're not. And you're missing the moment that you're in. Your entire life is focused on where you're falling short, which leads to that narrative I'm talking about. So it can be as simple as flipping your focus to be where your feet are. If right now I decide the right thing is for me to be doing this interview, for me to be at work, for me to be all in right now in book launch season, then not only do I have to do that, which I am, I have to acknowledge that it's right and be proud of that. So when I come home from a 14-hour day, I don't feel like a failure as a mom. I'm proud of, man, I did the right things at the right time because that was right today. And I think setting people free to be proud of how they're spending their time when they are doing the right things is going to be transformative in how we experience every aspect of our life because we shake that guilt that used to focus on what we're not doing. And now we're going to create pride and fulfillment and enjoyment and even being present in the things that we are doing. And that's really powerful. It is powerful, but I've got to say in 2021, presence can be pretty difficult. Yeah. So what are some ways that you can ensure that you are present? Well, you make a great point. It is difficult. And I think that's why it's that much more important because in the 1980s, I was a child of the 80s and the 80s, you didn't have any choice but to be present. You didn't right. have a cell phone. If you were in the waiting room of the doctor's office, you were looking at a book or a magazine. If you're in the car in traffic, you're listening to the radio, like that's it. 
we live in this world where we have a device in our pocket screaming our name 24 hours a day. And I've got some interesting research in the book on our relationship with technology. And I don't hate technology, but we are losing hours and hours of our life every day to this device. So we need to have a defense plan. We need to have a deeper understanding of its effect on us and some boundaries around it to protect us from losing our entire lives to it. Because if we're not careful, we're going to know everything about everyone else's life and completely miss our own. And so in this day and age, to your point, I think one thing that is very empowering is understanding what is going on at what's at play. Meaning when I pick up my phone over and over again without thinking, I'm going to question that and understand why. It's not just because I need to check my phone. It's not because it rang or buzzed. It's because there are multi-billion dollar companies that their entire objective is to get people to stare at their phone more because they can monetize that to advertisers. Well, when I understand, oh, I'm reaching for my phone, that's an unconscious habit. That awareness helps me guard against it because I realize what's affecting me. It also then activates me to put some boundaries and practices in place. One simple thing I do is I have a box on my counter that when I walk in the door at five o'clock, I put my phone in this box. And it's an intentional action that says to my brain, I'm not going to look at this device in the next two hours because I want to focus on my kids in my family. So it's taking my phone and putting it in a box. And this box represents this is off limits while I'm with my family. And I'll pick it back up again once my kids are in bed or whatever. And so there's an element of this that we have so much opportunity to solve our problems with technology and and distraction. But we also have the responsibility to because if we don't, we're going to continue to do what we've always done, which is going to lead to what we've always had, which is a lack of being present, a missing moments with our family, and staring at a screen. And what's interesting is there's a study in the book from Harvard where there is a direct, not just correlation, but causation of distraction and unhappiness. So the more distracted you are, the more your mind wanders. And this doesn't even take into consideration social media. This is just letting your mind wander. Research shows you're unhappier. You are less happy when your mind wanders versus being present in the moment. And so that just means that we have to have some habits that bring our mind back to what's going on in front of us. And research shows that we'll be happier when we do. Wow. That is some mind-blowing research right there. Not just that it's a correlation, but it's a causation too. Yeah. It shows that mind wandering is the cause of people being unhappy, regardless of the activity in which they're participating. Meaning it's not just like, well, if you're doing something boring, then it's okay to let your mind wander because you're doing something boring. It in fact shows that when you bring your mind back to where your body is, as this sounds all like woo-woo, I'm not like one of those people. This is not like, oh, some new agey. No, it's not that. It's just simply like, we don't realize how much our mind is not where our body is. We're thinking about what we got to do. We're thinking about a conversation we had last week. We're thinking about, you know, we're scrolling social media, whatever. When you bring your mind back to where your body is, which is where it's designed to be, by the way, right? you actually are not only happier, you feel more alive. You're aware of your senses and the sights and the sounds and the textures. And like, you literally feel more alive when you bring your mind back to where your body is. And I did not realize until I started studying this, but I didn't realize how much I had just been sleepwalking through life, like zombies staring at our phone and thinking about other things. And we're never home in our body. And I know, again, I know that sounds so weird, but when I began to bring my mind back to what's in front of me, what's in front of me, what's in front of me, I truly feel more alive. And so there's so much of this that has a huge implication, not just in our sense of balance, but every aspect of how we experience our life. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it really does speak to how you experience things. And I think there's value in being present, not just when you're in front of somebody else, but it's wherever you are, whatever you're doing, even if you're by yourself, even if you're in the car, or even if you're standing in line at the grocery store or something. Yes. And you make a good point because because of social media and because of our phones, because we have access to unlimited information and unlimited input at all times, we've actually trained our brains to be addicted to input. And what I mean by that is we are not okay being still. We're not okay being quiet. We're not okay with not having input, not staring, reading, absorbing, consuming something. So for example, you get into an elevator and the elevator doors close. And what do you do? You pull out your phone because we can't be still and stare at some elevator doors for three seconds. That just shows how addicted we are to input. But what's interesting is 
Our brain can't handle that. No wonder we're anxious and exhausted. It needs to rest and be still and be quiet and not have input for a minute. And so it does take discipline, to your point a minute ago, in our day and age. But the results are so powerful in terms of not only how we experience our life, but how rested we are, how much we enjoy the moment, and just the sense of peace like we talked about. We, We are in our generation, our world is more anxious than any other population in the history of the world. And, you know, we're not experiencing these world wars. We're not experiencing the hardships of previous generations have had, but we have this onslaught of input and it's having a real effect on our mental health. It's having a real effect on how we even experience our life. And so I think there's the awareness, becoming aware of its effect on us and then doing something about it can set us free where we really can create a sense of peace in our life, even in a chaotic world where we can feel balanced even in an out-of-balance world, because we can't control the world we live in, but we can control ourselves and what we consume and what we focus on. And that's what I want to not only remind people of, but I want to give them practical steps of how to do it. Excellent. So we've talked about, you know, like social media and our phones, our devices. That's certainly one of the top things that comes to mind when we think of those things that steal people's time, that keeps us from our priorities. But what are some of the other more common things that steals our time? Yeah, it's interesting because I think they're different for everyone, but I did put a few common time stealers in the book. These are things that I'm definitely guilty of, and I think a lot of people are. But again, the list is not exhaustive because it's different for everyone. Anything that is not important to you is a distraction to you that's keeping you from something that is important to you. But here's some common examples. The need to be loved. Now, we all have a healthy need to be loved, but one of the things that can get us in trouble is when we try to say yes to everyone to earn love from other people. And a pastor said years ago, he said, there's a very big difference in doing something to be loving and doing it to be loved. And that that got me. I mean, that convicted me because if I'm honest, a lot of my striving and trying is not to be so loving, that's a piece of it, but it's really to impress others and be loved, to earn love from people, to be the hero for people to go, oh, how does she do it? Oh, she's such a good person. And if we don't peel away the layers and figure out what are these motivations that are going on inside of us, then we can fix the calendar at the surface level, but those problems are going to creep up again and again. Another thing many of us are guilty of is the need to prove ourselves. So we want to prove that we're a good mom. So we sign up for all the class stuff and we get monogrammed clothes, matching outfits for all the holidays for our kids. Listen, your (laughs) two-year-old does not know what they're wearing on Christmas. They do not care if they are monogrammed and matching. They don't care. They won't remember. It's all about us. It's all about, I need to show what a good mom I am. And, And if we're honest with ourselves and we can identify that, then we can set ourselves free from that pressure and we can wear normal mismatched pajamas and have a great time and not get caught up in things that are not important at all in the moment, which actually is a result leads us to feeling way more balanced. And so I think we need to figure out what's going on. Is it, are you trying to earn love from others? Are you trying to impress other people? Are you trying to prove yourself that you deserve that position in your company? So you come early, stay late and work really, really hard in between to the detriment of your health or your family. Ask yourself, why? Why am I doing this? Why do I get myself to this place of being exhausted? Why do I say yes to everything everyone asks me? Why do I feel the need to overdo everything? And when we ask why, then we can start to see which motivations we have that are healthy and normal and which motivations we have are unhealthy and we need to work on so that we can create more balance in our life. So understanding that there's all these different things that can steal our time and then understanding why they steal our time That helps us recognize that we are out of balance. Once we recognize that we're out of balance, what can we do to actually get balanced? Yes. As I define in the book, life balance is not doing everything for an equal amount of time. It's about doing the right things at the right time. And so the next question is, well, how do you do that? Well, I lay out five practical steps because I love steps. Like give me a plan. I can follow a plan. One of the things I hate about this term life balance is that it's this elusive shadow that haunts us that we don't know what it is. We just know we don't have it. So I want to define it and then give you steps to achieve it. So here's an overview of the steps. If you're going to do the right things at the right time, this is how you do it. Step one, decide what matters. So if you're going to do the right things at the right time, you need to know what the right things are. And the good news is you get to decide what's right for you. So you figure out what is a priority to me? What's important to me? 
especially even in this season. What's right right now? Decide what matters. Step two, stop doing what doesn't matter. We lose a ton of time to things that are not important to us. And so when you identify what those distractions are, whether it's screens or people pleasing or whatever, then you can cut those things out of your life. And that's going to open up so much room and so much time for things that do matter that you identified in step one. Step three, create a calendar that reflects what matters. And as tactical as this is, we don't do it. We fill our calendars with dentist appointments and soccer practices and meetings. And then we wonder why we don't feel alive or enjoy our life. All those things you identified in step one, all those things that matter to you, they need to go on the calendar. They're not going to happen when time's left over. There's never time left over. So we can't be surprised when we don't do things that are right for us and important to us, when we don't put them on the system we've chosen to live our lives by. If your calendar is your system, it needs to reflect those things that matter most that you identified in step one. So I'll walk you through how to do that. Step four, protect what matters. And that's just all about boundaries and saying no to protect that calendar and that balance that you worked hard to create. And then step five might be my favorite. That is be present for what matters. Because even if you create the most perfect schedule in the world, if you're not present for it, you miss it. So step one, decide what matters. Step two, stop doing what doesn't matter. Step three, create a calendar that reflects what matters. Step four, protect what matters. Step five, be present for what matters. When you do that in any new season, you will be doing the right things at the right time and you will feel that sense of balance that you've been looking for. But one important point here is when your season changes, your job changes, your kids go off to school, you have a new baby, you get married, something changes in your world, your health changes. You need to go back to step one and you need to decide what matters now because the season that you're in will determine what matters to you and will determine what your version of balance looks like. And so this is a cycle we repeat in any new season. But when you do and you follow those five steps, you'll be doing the right things at the right time and you will feel that sense of balance you've been looking for all along. And that right there is a big light bulb moment to me because for the longest time, I would think whatever is the priority, whatever matters most, that's it for the long term. So like, how do I make sure that I define what it is that matters most to me that will matter until the end of my days? And recognizing that in different years, in different seasons, that's fluid and that can change. Yes. And you make such a good point because when we talk about priorities, Everyone talks about priorities as if they are this lifelong, concrete, written in blood, set it and forget it thing. Like Christians say to me all the time, my priorities are God, other, self in that order. I'm like, that is a beautiful Sunday school answer. That is very impractical for real lifetime management. Here's what my priorities look like this season. It looks like get my book launched, spend time with my kids. That's pretty much it in this season. So we've got to have, while you have fixed priorities where like if push comes to shove and all hell breaks loose, this is what matters in this order. Most of us don't live like that. Thank goodness. Every day, we need to know how to manage our time on a Monday, which looks much more specific, tactical, current, and relevant than our lifelong fixed priorities. You need seasonal, weekly, and even daily priorities where you say, okay, in this season, here's the top three to five things that matter most. For example, what matters to me in this season is very different than what mattered to me this summer. This summer, I didn't work Fridays. I went to the lake. I played with my kids. I worked out, hung out with friends and had a clean house. That isn't so much true right now. Right now, I'm working like crazy. I'm focused on the book. The book is the priority. And time with my kids when I'm not working on the book. I'm not seeing my friends. My house is not as clean. I'm not working out as much as I want to. And I'm definitely working on Fridays. So giving yourself permission to change your priorities and your plans And even your version of balance as your season changes, it should. That's called wisdom. And it's going to allow you to adapt to things as they change and and when they change. And that right there has helped me feel a lot more comfortable about some of the things that I want to do, but recognize that this isn't the right season for it. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, 
I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with the audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. When I've gone on vacation, I love renting a kayak and doing like a kayak excursion. I've fallen in love with kayaking. And so I want to have my own kayak. And I have this dream of being able to go out and kayak every Saturday morning. I've got two boys right now that are 11 and 8. They've got Taekwondo on Saturday mornings. And so that's not going to jive. And if I were to go ahead and get that kayak, I would see it sitting in my garage every day, me not using it. And that would make me feel really down about myself. You make such a good point with this, Matt, because so many people miss exactly what you're saying. Just because something is not right right now doesn't mean it's never right. It's just not right right now. And when you try to force something that is not right right now, it actually becomes stressful, exhausting, and makes you feel out of balance. If you tried to do the kayaking thing now, right now, when it's not right, it's going to do the very opposite of what it would do in the right season. It's going to suck your joy, make you feel anxious, and make you feel guilty and out of balance. But what's great is when you identify, hey, that's a dream I have in my back pocket for some other time. What's right right now is Taekwondo on Saturday mornings. Then it gives you permission to focus on Taekwondo Shake the guilt of all the things you're not doing, all the things that that are not right right now, knowing that they might be right someday. And so so I think that that question is so powerful. What's right right now? What's right right now? Figure out what that is and do it. And it's going to help you shake the guilt for all the things that are not right right now, knowing they might be right in a different season. That's it. That's it right there. And I know like now it's starting to sound like this is Matt's therapy, but (laughs) it took me a few years to get to this point too, about understanding what's right for me, what matters for me, and what matters for me may be different than what matters to somebody else that may be pulling at me, whether it's my church or my job or a nonprofit organization that needs help, or even my family that wants, you know, that, that wants me to come visit on this certain day that may not jive with my current schedule. So it took me quite a bit of time to understand and decide what mattered to Matt. Right. So how can somebody else go through that? Well, you make a really good point because I think that there's an element of this that we have to think about who we are responsible to. So there's three main relationships I want people to think about. And I don't talk about this in the book, but this is a good context around what you're saying. So one relationship you need to consider is the relationship you have with yourself. And what I mean by that is we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we don't even know where it comes from. Like we made it up. Like you might have an idea in your head like, oh, I could take on all these projects on Sunday night for my church. What starts as a could turns into a should. I should do the Sunday night. Oh, I'm stressed out because Sunday night. It's like, hey, you made that up. (laughs) You had that idea. You put that pressure on yourself and now you're holding your feet to the fire. You can just change your mind. You can just decide not to. My friend Jenny, I was messaging with her last week that she was so stressed out because her kids were back in school and she had decided that she was going to start working part-time now that her kids were back in school. And she was stressing out about her resume and career builder and finding a job and all this stuff. Her kids have been in school in like five minutes. I said, Jenny, you set that timeline. You decided that you were going to go back to work when your kids were in school. You can just decide not to. You can decide to start doing that in October and give yourself a minute. And so I think the relationship we have with ourselves, we have to question our thoughts. Don't believe everything you think. If you're feeling pressure, the root of that pressure might be yourself. And you can take the pressure off. You can change your mind. So that's one. 
The second one is the relationship to your family. So this book is not a bulldoze everyone in your path to live your best <laughs> life message. It's not at all. It's like, hey, you need to figure out what life balance looks like for you and then sit down with those people that you've chosen to live your life with. Because if you're married, when you walk down the aisle, you said, it's not just my life anymore. It's our life. It's not just my time. It's our time. And so let this be a conversation starter with you and your spouse and even older kids, if your kids are older, to say, what are your values? What does this season look like for you? What do you want to do? What are your dreams and goals? And then have everyone's voices and values represented on the shared family calendar. Because when you make a decision, like Saturday morning, for example, Matt, if you did decide to go kayak, there's a huge implication on your family on you're doing that. And so this is something that you come together as you think about that. Now, me personally, I feel responsible, deeply responsible to the people in my household, my husband and my children. I do not personally feel as responsible to people outside of my household, whether that be extended family, our in-laws, my parents, friends, whatever. I feel responsible to them, but not the same level. Now, that's a very American individualistic worldview. There are cultures where people feel deeply responsible to every generation. There's multiple generations in a household, et cetera. So I just want to give the disclaimer that this is my American individualistic worldview. But the reason that I say that is you need to think about your level of responsibility to others. Because one of the things that I teach in the book is this is your life. You need to spend it on what's right for you. This is your time. You have a right to spend it on what's right for you. If what's right for you is serving in the church like crazy, cool, go do that. If what's right for you is being there for your in-laws or your parents or taking care of a family member. That's great. But you get to decide what's right for you. And so when people come to me with, oh, we've got this or we need this or we think you should be doing this, unless they live in my household, they don't carry near as much weight with their say and their opinion on what I should be doing with my time. I'm going to decide what's right for me and have a conversation with my spouse about it. I'm not going to follow the whim of everyone's big opinion of what I should be doing. Again, that's my personal view, but I think a lot of times we live our lives for other people and wonder why we don't feel happy in our own life. Well, yeah, because you're living it for other people. So decide who you're responsible to, consider them, and then set some boundaries, some in love and in respect, set some boundaries with all those other people that have an opinion about how you should be spending your one life. I'm like, you got a life. You do what you want with it. I'm going to do what's right for me. Love it. That's something else that a lot of people have trouble with at times are those boundaries, being able to set those. It's not the easiest way, but it's the simplest way. One of the simplest ways to set a boundary with others is by saying no. It's simple, but it's not easy. So how can people learn how to say no in order to be able to set those boundaries? Okay, I'm going to give you a super tactical answer to this one. Number one, script it. Write out in advance what you would say to different requests. So a family member comes to you with, can you help us move on Saturday morning? Someone comes to you at work when your plate's already full. There's an awesome thing at your church on Sunday night. There's a party on Friday night, What, whatever. All these possible scenarios. I actually have a download, 25 ways to say no, where I script it for you of all the different types of requests you might get. What's so powerful about this is when you script it in advance, then when someone asks you, you're not put on the spot trying to fumble through your words, feeling like I feel guilty. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to let them down because you've scripted it. But the second piece of this is after you script it, I want you to practice in front of the mirror, in front of your dog, in front of your spouse. I don't care who, just practice it because saying no is a muscle. And if you never exercise that muscle, like any muscle, it's weak. But the more you practice it, the more you exercise that muscle, the stronger it becomes. And eventually it gets easier and you feel more powerful. Like you actually have a say in your own life. Imagine that but it comes through scripting it in advance and practicing it. And I'll tell you, here's the great news for all my people pleasers out there, all that people that are like, well, I can't say no. I'm just such a nice person. Let me tell you something. An honest no is always better than a dishonest yes. It's not that you don't want, it's not just that you're such a good person. You're lying because you're going to try to wriggle out of that later. And you're, you're giving, you're not telling the truth when you say yes to that thing, but you want to say no. And so my husband does this to me where he says no to things all the time. He's very comfortable with it, but he does not even say the word. He's so nice about it. Here would be a perfect example. So let's say I come home and I say to Matt, my husband's name is Matt also. I say to Matt, (laughs) Matt, you know what we should do? We should totally redecorate our entire living room. Like I can just see it. We could get a new couch and put it on that wall and get new art and get new plants and like get a new rug. Like, oh my gosh, it's just, it's time for a refresh. I'm just feeling it. We should totally redecorate our whole living room. Here is something my husband might say to me. Wow, gosh, I just love how creative you are. You know, I don't think now is the right time to add a new project 
to our already busy schedule or our budget like that. But man, I really love how you love improving things. That was so nice. But the answer is the same. No, we're not redecorating our whole stinking house, Christy. (laughs) He has done this to me when I have the idea to get a dog, redecorate our house, do some other crazy thing because I've got a million ideas a day. And he's so kind and he's so affirming. But the answer is the same. He says no. So you can do this in a way that's true to you. You can do it in a way that is honest. You can do it in a way that is kind. But the answer is the same. The answer is no. And so if you practice it, I promise you, it does get easier. Absolutely. And I used to have a problem with that. I used to be the one that was thinking, oh, they really need me. And if I don't do it, then nobody else will. And then their whole system, their whole organization, everything will just fall apart if I don't meet their request to do this. And confession time, it was a handful of years ago, maybe more. I think like the first thing that ever got from you was your list of 25 different yeah. <laughs> ways to say no. And it was amazing. Right after I got that, a nonprofit that I'd done some consulting with asked me to be on their board. And I knew in my mind, I don't have time for that. I know that if I were to say yes, I would fail at that role because I wouldn't have the time to do it. At the same time, I want to say yes, because I want to help. However, I had just gotten your list of 25 ways to say no. I used one of the scripts and I ended up recommending them to reach out to somebody else that I knew that was a much better fit. And I had an idea that they had a much better fit in their schedule for it. This person agreed to do it and they went on and did some really great things for that organization. That's awesome. You know, it's so funny you say that, Matt, because literally right before I walked in um, to our studio for this interview, I was talking to Tyler, who's my brand manager, and he said, hey, I've got some bad news, good news. He said, your um, speaking (laughs) event on October 1st was canceled, but it's been moved to December 1st. And immediately something came to mind. So like three or four months ago, there was this woman that reached out to me to um, partner with her on some foster care stuff. And she had an event on December 1st. Even though I did not have plans on December 1st, and even though I didn't have a reason, everything in my spirit was no. It was, you're not supposed to do this. And so I said to her on the phone, I didn't even say, let me think about it. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going into a very busy book season. I have a lot going on. I'm not taking any more commitments at this time out of town. I'm going to be with my family when I'm not doing book stuff. I said, but I'd love to support you in other ways. Let's brainstorm how I can support you. That does not involve me coming to this event on December 1st. Now, again, Matt, I had no plans on December 1st at that time, but everything in my spirit was this needs to be a no, even though I couldn't explain it and I wanted to support the organization. Well, then literally five minutes ago before I walk in here, it's like, hey, your October 1st is canceled, but they they moved it to December 1st. See, God knew. God yeah. knew I was going to be doing something on December 1st that I didn't know at that time. So you've got to listen to that spirit, your gut, your intuition, whatever you want to call it, depending on your, your faith. And when something is a no... It's a no. And when it's a yes, it is a yes, even if you can't explain it. So so just having some more intentionality and awareness before we say yes or no can really be powerful for a better outcome. Like you said, that person had a great experience and helped them and you were set free from a burden that would have totally been a burden because it wasn't right for you at that time. Absolutely right. And I think a lot of that comes back to what we talked about earlier, being present. If you're yeah. present in every moment and you're not giving in to all the distractions, then, and this is my faith coming out here, when you're present, you're more in tune to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's prompts. And the Spirit can prompt you to say, you know what? You don't know why just yet, but you should say no to this right now. Or you know what? You should totally say yes to this. May feel a little scary, may feel uncomfortable, but I'm pushing you to say yes. Yes. And what's interesting is, to your point, I think that you have two extremes when it comes to time management. So my vision, Matt, is to bridge the gap between the faith world and the personal development world. I think that many people view them as mutually exclusive, and they're not. We need to work like it all depends on us and pray like it all depends on God, and we're going to need both. And so in my faith world, what I hear a lot of times like, let's just Jesus, 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 just pray, 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 just let the Spirit lead you. And you got people that are just floundering, and they're not good stewards of their time or their money because they're waiting for Gabriel to appear in their living room on Monday morning and tell them what to do. And it doesn't happen like that. They need a plan. They need steps. They need intentionality in how they steward their time and their money and so on. But then in the personal development world, they can be so rigid with plans and steps and goals that there's no room for the spirit to move. And so my vision for this book is, hey, I want to give you a plan. 
Okay. Outside of the divine moments where God just calls you to drop everything and help that person or say yes to that thing inexplicably or say no to that thing inexplicably. Aside from those divine moments, we're going to have a plan. Here's our plan of how we manage our time. Here's our boundaries of what we say no to. Knowing that if and when you feel called to do something, the plans go out the window and you follow in obedience. And I have those. For example, I'll give you a very tactical one. I have a rule for myself that when someone asks me to coffee to pick my brain, which happens all the time, and I'm very flattered by it, but it happens all the time, my answer is no every time. My answer is no. No, because it doesn't scale. No, because I make a living out of my coaching. No, because I don't have the time. No, because it's not a priority. I have a long list of reasons, but it's a no. And every now and then, every now and then, this happened uh, maybe a year or two ago, a young woman walked up to me after devotional in our company and she said, hey, Christy, you know, my name's Phoebe and I just really admire you and I'd love to take you to coffee to pick your right. And would you mentor me? And in that moment, the spirit said, yes. And I said, yes. There you go. So it's both. You need plans and steps and practices to be a good steward of your time for just an ongoing rhythm of your week. And knowing if you feel a call to say yes to something or no to something that goes outside of your plan, you obey. And you and you can always discern that with wise counsel and spending some time thinking about it, praying about it, whatever, if you're a person of faith. But you need both. It's not all, I'm just going to float around through life and have no vision and no intentionality. And it's also not, I'm going to be so rigid that I can't allow God to direct me in in the midst of all my plans. And so I think it's both. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. You're right. Absolutely. And it's not being so rigid and legalistic, but understanding in an ideal world, this is what things would look like. But if I'm led in a specific instance, I'm flexible enough to be able to do that. Right. Exactly. It just, it, there's such wisdom in needing both having intentionality, but also having the flexibility. It's kind of like what we were talking about with priorities. Yes, I have fixed priorities that if push comes to shove, like this is what is most important to me. My kids are more important than my work all day, every day, but they're not going to be more important than my work in a practical every day. Does that make sense? So it's like if something went wrong and I had to choose, of course I would choose my family but I don't have to choose. And so on a Monday, I'm at work and I'm doing what matters. And so it's there's an element of intentionality, but also flexibility. Absolutely. You talked about your kids and I've got two young boys as well. And I hope that I'm being a good example of them in how to manage my time, but also in how to be a successful business owner. And we talked earlier about your mom. I could just record a whole hour of us just talking about her cakes. Probably. Oh my gosh. So yeah. funny. She's your typical entrepreneur that is just like free-spirited, inventor, all over the place, but so good at her craft. Like her cakes are delicious, but she's just crazy in how she runs her business. <laughs> I hope the mic's not picking it up, but my stomach is rumbling just thinking oh, no. <laughs> about cakes. But I'd like to understand from you, especially given all that you've read and learned that went into what you teach. And in this book, was there anything that your mom taught you about life balance? Well, we had such a non-traditional uh, life. So she was a single mom. I was an only child from the time that I was six months old. And she started this business when I was six months old to raise and support me. So, I mean, I was like in the cake shop all the time, two and three and four in the morning. Like I was raised in the cake shop. I spent more time with her employees than my friends. Wow. So there's nothing about that that you look back and go, oh my gosh, like Christy had the Pinterest perfect childhood. Not at all. But my message of, of hope and encouragement to everyone listening right now, especially my entrepreneurs, is that I did not, like our life was hard. I remember going to the cake shop at two in the morning and it had broken into. I remember getting a flat tire in the rain. I remember just struggle, 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 struggles growing up. And the thing that I would say is an encouragement to our listeners, especially those that are entrepreneurs doing their best to make it in business and also raise a family, your children will not make it in life despite your struggle. They will make it because of it. Because I am who I am because of my mother. I am who I am because of what I watched and observed. She didn't teach me work ethic. She lived it out in front of me. I worked my behind off because I had this incredible model. I had a front row seat to a woman that was a fighter and a survivor that made a difference in the community and raised me at the same time, unapologetically doing what she needed to do to get by. And that is my whole framework for life. That is what shaped my character. Not because I had this Pinterest perfect party and I was taught lessons on a Tuesday at three o'clock about how to be a good person. I freaking watched it. And so for my entrepreneurs that are listening right now, I just want you to know, like, you're not harming your children by exposing them 
them to your struggle and to you making it in this world, you're actually helping them more than you can possibly realize because you are developing in them character qualities and resilience that could not be forged any other way but in the fire. And they are going to make it in life because of that. Not despite it, because of it. And I just want my entrepreneurs that feel like they're failing to know that they're not. You are doing a good job. You just have no idea what a difference you're making in your child's life. Oh, that is powerful. That makes so much sense. And it's so true. Even if we don't talk about it with our children, they're watching us. We're an example to our children. And if we focus on what matters right now, then it's going to be okay if our child is with us at 2 a.m. having to go to our business, or if we're on the side of a road having to fix a flat tire and and we don't just fall apart because of that, because our children are watching us. I think we get to define things within the context of our family, especially for little kids. So like, for example, I remember talking to my son Carter, he's six and a half now, but when he was like even two and three and we were somehow talking about work. And I think he said something like, why do you go to work? And I said, I go to work to help people. And so for my son, if you ask him today, why do people work? He will say to help people. That's why we go to work. We go to work to help people because that's what I believe we do for work. Now, if I said, because I have to make a paycheck to put food on the table, well, that's going to completely change how my child views work and what I do. He's going to see me as I believe I'm a victim and this is something we have to do and I'd rather be at home and I'm pretty miserable and all that. It's like, no, 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 buddy, I get to hang out with you all the times that I hang out with you and I get to go to work and help people all the time. And so it's like Carter, when he thinks about work, he thinks about, well, what do I want to do to help people? He wants to be an ice cream man. We, in fact, my mom made an ice cream truck. She makes tiny houses in her spare time, Matt. If you go to my Instagram, you'll see it. It's absolutely hysterical. So she made him this ice cream truck on a trailer. Like it looks like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. It's comical and adorable at the same time. We did an ice cream truck in my neighborhood. I just put it on the neighborhood Facebook page, like, hey, Carter's ice cream, you know, on this day. It was just like ice cream sandwiches in a freezer type of thing. But I thought, I visualized this day as I'm going to have a nice little business lesson with my son because I love helping people with business and he might make $2, right? Like, I'm going to sit in a lawn chair. It's going to be so fun. Listen, let me tell you something. Matt, that child made $200 in two hours and I was refilling his freezer. Like, it was so fun and awesome. But it's like things like that, that's going to shape their ideas of work. That's going to shape what it is, you know? And so we have such an opportunity as parents to paint this in the light that we want them to see it in. Because I want him to see his work and his life as what he does to go help people, not I have to work a J-O-B to collect a paycheck and be miserable. You know, we get to decide that in some capacity. Yeah, And it helps shape their viewpoint of life and it shapes their viewpoint of what their calling can be. When my youngest son, he was four-ish years old or so, and this was in my previous career, I was leading the brand strategy at FedEx, and I led all of our brand promise work. And it was the purple promise because purple is part of FedEx visual identity. And so when I would go off to work or when I would come back home, my youngest son would say, did you work on the purple promise today? And for Father's Day, he was with my wife. They were in Target looking for Father's Day present, and he picked out a purple water bottle, a purple clean canteen water bottle. We should give this because of the purple promise. And I've still got that purple water bottle today. Oh, that gives me chills. I love it. They're getting it. They're getting it more than we even possibly realize. Christy, this has been a lot of fun, but I've got one last question for you. If you were to create a five song soundtrack to take back your time, what songs would you include? Okay, we're going to focus on the book. So this, these are kind of fun because I think they all hit on different parts of the book. So number one, It's My Life by Bon Jovi. <laughs> That's so Enneagram 8. Like, it's my life. Don't tell me what to do. But it really is. It's your life. You get to decide what matters to you in your one life that you've been given. Number two, classic favorite for me is Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. Like, listen, people are going to hate. They're not going to understand. They're going to judge you. Shake it off. Shake it off. Number three, this is random, but High Hopes by Panic at the Disco. So it's got a really great beat beat and high energy, but it's just like, get your hopes up. You know, we live through life like, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. And oh, like not practical, realistic. No, get your hopes up for your life. Like have high hopes for your life. And and you'll be amazed at what you can actually make happen if you begin to believe it. Number four, you're going to miss this by Trace Atkins. Don't wish it away. Mm. Whatever season you're in, don't wish it away. I've got fingerprints all over every surface of my house mat. Like, and it's like, I look at that and I just go, oh, but that represents the footy pajamas and snuggle season. I don't want to wish it away. Look at the good in the season. And then 
Number five, Believe For It. It's a new song by CC Winans, but it's just like believe for big things. Get your hopes up and believe for big things because God is for you. And if you trust him with your life, he will blow your mind. More than you can ever ask or imagine is what scripture says. So Believe For It by CC Winans. It's a good love variety it. there. <laughs> yeah, good variety of genres. <laughs> That's a good eclectic mix right there. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm feeling pumped up already. Awesome. I love it. Well, Christy, I have learned a lot from you. And, and again, this feels like my own, you know, like one hour therapy session with Chris. <laughs> but I know that others are learning from this too. Where can people go to learn more? Yes. Well, you can go to christywright.com slash balance to get the book. Launches on September 14th. So you can get the book there. And then also I did want to give you, I just got a text from my marketer. want to give you a resource for that 25 ways to say no that you talked about just since we talked about it, if that's yes, helpful. Thanks. It's a free download. You text protect time to 33444. Protect time, all one word, to 33444. And then you'll get the download. And that's just a script for you. It's just 25 ways to say no, depending on work requests, family requests, volunteer requests, to help you strengthen that muscle. Since we talked about it, I know that is hard for people. So that'll help you start to exercise that muscle and hopefully make it a little easier on you. And I can attest those scripts, super helpful. I love that you actually used it. So you knew what I was talking about. Like, oh yeah, I, oh, I did yeah. that. <laughs> it yeah, works. That was me. Christy, thank you so much. Great seeing you. Great talking with you today. Oh my gosh, you're awesome, Matt. Anything I can ever do to help, I'm happy to. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this From the Vault discussion with Christy Wright. So go and check out her book, Take Back Your Time. It's a great resource to supplement alongside the lessons we've been learning in the previous two episodes with Jeffrey Shaw and Jenny Blake. And they're all designed to help you simplify your business and to simplify your life. Next week, we'll be back to our regular schedule. So if you're not already subscribed, then go ahead and hit the subscribe button because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Clint White. Clint's the host of the Tattoos Not Brands podcast, and he just released his first book of the same name, Tattoos Not Brands. An Entrepreneur's Guide to Smart Marketing and Business Building. Clint and I discuss how his flexible tattoo approach to consumer engagement is a better choice for most businesses. Unlike market-driven brands, Clint says that tattoos are mission-driven. They're personable, relatable, and they're nimble enough to evolve with consumer needs, and they don't break the bank. And while we talk about his tattoo approach, we also discuss the simple steps you can take to prepare for success and identify the right approaches to marketing that'll work best for you and your product based on your product's tattoo type. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Clint's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.